I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this. It's thunderstorming outside. There's lightning. Hit me with it. Come on. How smart can you be when you have huge man tits? Okay, Ham. Go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner. I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Hello, Mr. Kakito. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm doing really well. And should I call you Kakito? And Content Whoa. Captains is the brand. <laughs> Whatever you want. Yeah, that's right. Bowtie Coquito is the name and then Content Captains is the brand that I'm working on. Yeah. Awesome. Could you tell us a bit about Content Captains and how you ended up on this area of Twitter? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So <laughs> Jungle Journey. Let's see. So my brother, who's 100% VA disability rating guy, uh, mm. I think his at is the big repper. He is a longtime friend and for a really long time honestly was like you need to join the jungle you need to get on twitter because i'm like not on social at all like in my personal life and uh you know i think it was like the, near the end of 2021 but i was like okay man whatever like let's just see and like did the standard like follow bowtied bull ox like sales guy and all that stuff and like immediately was enamored by the community in the sense of like everyone just trying to get after it building real things, all of the philosophies and things that bull shares, especially from like a financial standpoint, like totally tracked for me. And so it was, yeah, like a really awesome community to discover really about a year or so after I, I got out of the military. And so ever since then, like been trying to build and catch up and learn, I mean, DeFi ed and all that stuff. Like there's so much to, to catch up on, uh, when it comes to crypto and all those things. So that's sort of the jungle origin story and uh, content captains itself, I think is a culmination of doing exactly what I just said. It's been two years of like reading and trying to catch up and understanding uh, where we were going. And for me, if, if OG like Coquito followers, remember, like I first got here and started sharing all like my military footage. Right. And then mm -hmm. I, I think I pivoted to like trying to teach swimming which was like kind of successful and like people really enjoyed it. But then it was like, I'd have to like build content for it and stuff like that. And it just wasn't that sustainable. And so um, I actually ended up going on a bit of a hiatus for a few months, uh, just trying to like double down. If you remember Commoner, it's when like the economy was doing really bad. I think towards like the end of 2022 and like Bull was just preaching like, double down on the W2, get promoted, do the thing, like yada, yada, and like ended up literally following that plan to the T. And so then I came back reignited with passion and fire uh, earlier this year uh, with the idea of teaching content marketing, which is something I've been doing for like 10 years. So that's super, that's the long story short. I think the short version is content captains now is just uh, definitely still in flight and being built, but, uh, my intention with it is to train folks on all the content marketing skills and in particular full stack content marketing, which is a term that I came up with and, and brought to market to, uh, sort of identify folks who are generalists and know everything from copywriting to design and video production, uh, storytelling, all that type of stuff, uh, which I think makes the best content marketers and content creators. So super interesting. And I want to dive more into what being a full stack content marketer means as well. But you mentioned you took this hiatus to yeah. focus on your W2 and then you came back. Do you think that that hiatus like reinvigorated you? You came back refreshed. How would you put that into your journey as a positive, as a negative? Because I know people feel burnout. I have felt burnout many a time. So just For wondering sure. if like complete cold turkey for a month 
is a good option if you are feeling that kind of burnout. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I'll, and I'll, I'll do you one better. I think I was probably gone for like four or five months. Like mm. I really cut off from, from the internet and from Twitter and all that stuff and nothing really triggered it. Like I wasn't like, Oh, something happened in the jungle. And I was like, I'm done. It was more personal of like, I was listening to bull's advice of like doubling down on W2 and like just trying to, uh, survive layoffs and things of that nature. And also just reconnect with myself in a sense of like, I tried the military footage stuff. Then I think I actually, Oh, I forgot. I think I tried copywriting for a little bit and then Mm -hmm. I tried swimming and then it was like, okay, I, I just needed direction. And so during those months, not only did I double down in the, in the W2, but I also just read a lot. I read a lot of business and marketing books. Like I do anyways, I'm kind of a nerd about this stuff, but like one of the ones that I, I discovered was snow leopard by, I think the category pirates guys. And then I discovered the category pirates newsletter, uh, which really just like, that was the catalyst of like, wait a minute, like, why don't I just teach what I know? You know what I mean? Like I'm a swimmer, but I'm not like a swim coach, you know? So like, why would I be teaching swimming? Like, of course it makes way more sense for me to be teaching what I do every single day and what I've found to be extremely successful. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the story there. Like, I do think if you're feeling burnt out or anything of that nature, like you just have to reassess and like connect with yourself again, because, um, it's been nothing but an incredible journey this year. And it's just crazy to think it's already been a year and I'm just now launching something. So like this stuff takes time. It takes effort. It takes iterations. Like you have to both be patient and hungry. Like you have to have velocity and thoughtfulness. Like it's such a juxtaposition. I'm sure you feel this too, commoner. So it's just absolutely anytime you need a break like that, I I do think it, it is for the better. Yeah. I read, I think it was an opossum tweet a few weeks ago that was saying can't really multitask when it comes to big life priorities or focuses. You have to do your W2, but to be scattered in your doubt in your Wi-Fi money efforts or be feeling like you're drifting a little bit is really uh, debilitating. It makes you really feel depressed isn't the right word, but just you don't want to try anymore if you do these winding paths. And I am a thousand percent do the winding path still on the winding path. Yep. So I also think that you were able to be clinical and just say, no, it's not this military footage. It's not the swimming. It's what I do on my day job. This is what Mm -hmm. I know I'm good at. Whereas I myself struggle with being clinical and like stopping one of the streams that I'm working on because it becomes a passion of mine. And then I can't be as surgical about it, which is not a good thing. You have to really cut passion from money if you want to do this, because what you're about may not be what is so profitable. And I am learning to understand. I, I, I totally agree with you there. I think love swimming for sure. Love my time in service for sure. So like that totally tracks for me. Like those were sort of passion projects and like content marketing. Yeah. Like I've been doing it for 10 plus years. Like I have experience in it. I do relatively love it. I do. I do think it's an important skill in general, especially as we continue to digitize and like Wi-Fi money continues to build in importance and like the creator economy, all that type of stuff. But like, I wouldn't say I'm passionate about it, commoner, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I know it. So, okay. I'm going to teach it. You know what I mean? Totally. And so what's your definition of content marketing and specifically this term full stack content marketing? First and foremost, 
content marketing is nothing but the creation of digital assets that you deploy out into the ether and into the internet to attract highly qualified leads. I would say there are three prongs to this. The first prong is you're creating digital assets to attract those highly qualified leads. So that's your SEO blogs, that's your social posts, all of those organic channels need content. That is what a content marketer creates. I would say the second job, especially if a content marketer in-house, this is less so for content creators, but for content marketers in-house, the second prong is the go-to-market enablement, right? And so if you're working at a startup or really any company, you're probably going to have some sort of go-to-market team, which is like a sales force or anything of that sort. And your sellers need content to close deals, whether that's slide decks, one pagers, whatever it may be. Those are the things that uh, you need to be supporting and creating. And the third prong, again, for a content marketer in-house, I think of is you are the synthesizer. You are the glue between both the marketing team, go-to-market teams, and other cross-functional teams because you are the epicenter. There is nothing that gets created. There is no goal that gets accomplished without content marketers creating the content that each of those teams and individuals need to do their job. So whether that's demand generation, needs ad sets, who's going to make those digital ads? If you are in sales and you need a one-pager, who's going to make that one-pager? If you are the founder and you want to go get venture capital for your startup, who is going to build the pitch deck? I think a full stack content marketer is a type of marketer who can create multimedia content that effectively positions tech products. And so if you break that down, a full stack content marketer, this is a term that I created to specifically talk about these types of folks. Any marketer can do this. Any person can do this, right? Who can create multimedia content, anything from copywriting and SEO to video production, category design, all the things that you need to be a well-rounded both content marketer and have the business acumen that you need. And that effectively positions tech products. That part of it to me is the really important piece. I am very focused on tech startups. However, I think the premise remains the same. If you're going to position a product exceptionally well, you also need to have the business acumen to understand what positioning and messaging is, what category design is, all those two different things. Commenter, we were just talking about this with your stuff, right? Like knowing your target audience, knowing exactly how you fit into the market and all those things are all really important. The reason I think this is a key differentiator above all is because content marketing in general right now, I think is very full of grifting. It is very much so like an outdated um, function, even though it continues to become somehow more important. So it's like, resources, training, professional development has not caught up to content marketing. And so that's the gap that I found and the gap that I certainly want to fill. If I were to give you like the seven core marketing skills that a full stack content marketer needs to know, it goes as follows. It's one copywriting, two video production, three graphic design, four search engine optimization, five category design, six positioning and messaging, and seven is storytelling. Those are the seven foundational core content marketing skills that I believe full stack content marketers need to be successful and or full stack content creators and or anyone trying to build a Wi-Fi biz, a real like brick and mortar biz, whatever it is, like attracting the right audience through organic channels is a key differentiator in this market. And I just don't think there's enough resources to sustain the level of demand that there is to go do this uh, as either a career or a side business. Okay, 
Fascinating. I have a couple of different questions. Let's go. Thoughts. So interestingly, so I work for a consulting firm Sweet. and I happened to be on a go-to-market case last spring. And so I was working for not a startup, but an enormous company, but doing exactly what you described. Mm. They hired us to come in and make their sales force more effective by giving them new presentations in hand, new way to handle objections. And my job specifically was to interview the Salesforce guys, the best of the best, and write like talk tracks, they called them, or word tracks. The reason why I bring it up is because when we were leaving, one of the things they asked us to do was to help them build this capability in-house. Mm-hmm. And they were asking us, how are we going to find someone to do this? Like they really struggled with filling the position on a permanent basis after we were leaving. So all that is to say, companies of all sizes need help with this. And they especially need help with this in the modern era. They need a refresh of how to do this on the internet, on how to do this with new shiny presentations, because a lot of these very established companies are behind the eight ball on this. No, I totally agree. I think the the monoliths in the world are definitely behind. That is why I'm so focused on, on startups because I know startups at least are really embracing content marketing. I, I think there's still more work to be done there, but I totally agree. The gap is quite enormous. And you just touched on something that is so fundamentally not spoken about ever uh, because I follow a bunch of content marketers on LinkedIn, which is primarily where the audience lives. And, mm-hmm. uh, anyways, uh, something that I, I never see anyone talking about is the go-to-market stuff. So I'm sure Bowtie sales guy would be extremely proud for, for us having this conversation because at the end of the day, like everyone in marketing always struggles to find ways to attribute their work to revenue, right. Mm-hmm. And business goals. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm so sorry, but like, I, I, I always have such a hard time whenever I hear that marketing and sales has like beef or whatever, because it's like, I don't care how much beef there is. Like I'm there 110% to support our sales force because like, sure. Yeah. I have this blog I need to write, or I have this like beautiful web page experience that I want to deploy on the website. Like I have my own projects, but like if a sale, if a seller pings me on Slack and goes, Hey, I'm on a conversation with an enterprise uh, seller. Like, do you have a one pager? And like, we don't have it or whatever. Like you spin that thing up as fast as possible because like if they close that deal, yeah, sure. I'm not making commissions off of that and, and maybe don't even give me credit for it. But like when it comes down to it, like I just made the business more successful. And so when the time comes of like, Hmm, I wonder who should we let go during like a riff or like layoffs, like they're not going to let go somebody who's out there getting the work in and like supporting the go-to-market efforts. So that is just a very understated side of content marketing. And a lot of folks just like to focus on like SEO or like making videos or whatever. It's like, that stuff is cool. And that stuff, it totally matters. But yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. Like sellers need to sell and they need help. And I think a lot of companies struggle with that cross-functional yep. dynamic oh, yeah. that you're describing yep. because it does feel siloed from some of the companies mm-hmm. that I've worked for. And What it really should be is like the sales force is the customer of the analytics team. They're also the customer of the marketing team because they're in front of the actual customer. They know what they need. And a lot of times you don't get that value attributed to the sales force in my experience. And I can be honest and say, when I was coming into this, I was like, sales 
always felt like a used car salesman to me. Like I never gave it the credibility and the value that it really deserves when these people sure. are going in to the customer on the phone, making it happen, no matter how good your product is. If this person cannot do their job and execute, you're not going to sell. Like it is such an important skill. And I think across companies, it's still not given the credibility. It's almost like sales needs a new brand. Like you need to do a yep. better job of saying how important you are, um, which is so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I could not agree more. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really hard for me to understand it. Like this is my first startup. I've worked here for two years. I guess I could say at first I didn't really understand it. And now I kind of get it. And I think what I get is, yeah, the bigger it gets, the more, the more those silos and those walls go up. Right. And so somehow trying to keep that cross-functional like collaboration alive is like such an important part. And I, of, of a business. And I seriously think it's up to the, like in my world to the content marketer to do it. But like marketing in general, like this whole thing of like, oh, sellers have like ego or like they don't respect us or whatever. Like you got to let, let go of that stuff. Like sure, on a one-to-one -one basis, you shouldn't tolerate that kind of crap. But like when it comes to like supporting go-to-market teams, like that is your job. I'm, I'm sorry. Like that's just what I deeply believe from a marketing perspective. Now, that's two sides, right? Like we're, we're humans. We have the ability to you know, have multiple truths exist. Like the other side is, yeah, there's a strategic marketing like function that you have to go out and like tell those stories and like position yourself effectively and generate organic traffic and all those things. But when you think about the content marketer's job and specifically hundred percent, it is a dual effort of having to support both go-to-market teams and your own content marketing activities. And so a one pager is usually like a selling asset and so teaching them how to make that, is that writing the copy? Is that designing it in Photoshop? What exactly does that look like? Uh, creating prompts for folks to build real content for startups like Biome, Swipe Builder, and Ramp Health. I'm actually going to create a Figma file. So on Figma is where a lot of content marketers live and, and play today. What I'm planning on doing is perhaps doing three different one pagers designed for each of those startups I just mentioned and then assign different students, different one pagers to go out and fill out. So yes, they'll still have to write it, but then if we can put it into a Figma file, they can download that PDF into a, like as a one pager, like we just mentioned. And now they have a real asset that they can put into their content marketing portfolio. So uh, that was a really long-winded way of saying both. I 100% want to enable you to learn how to write that content uh, and, and allow you to, to do it in real time but then also put it into a nice design format so you're able to actually have the asset for yourself and 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 show it off like i think that's the biggest gap in in our education system of course and so as i see the trend of e-learning like i basically this bootcamp is what do i wish i would have known 10 years ago you know what i mean like i'm just going to put it all in one place and then you know hopefully that that's successful yeah, the reason why I ask is because the writing always gets the rap for being the hardest part, which I think is sure. fair because it's you have a very uh, small amount of words and you need to be compelling. But I struggle with the design aspect. That is sure. always what my bosses at work tell me is that my slides are ugly. So, <laughs> you know, you've mentioned these seven skills. I think something people may be wondering is why do I need to be good at all seven? 
why would I not just specialize and be an SEO and start my own service business where I help people do SEO for their websites or I become a copywriter specifically? What's the benefit of doing all of the skills? First, my hope is that the exposure you get to all of these skills through my resources will spark an interest for you, right? So if you decide that SEO is like the most invigorating thing for you, then like go get after it. And like, yes, I think- said no one ever. Yeah, said no one ever, right? Yeah, said no one ever. Yeah, SEO is so hard. But anyways, um, like maybe like I'll create that full stack SEO course or whatever. And like, you can go down that funnel if you'd like. But like the hope is for you to just get exposed to it, understand the industry, understand these skills enough to be dangerous. And then for sure, like go turbo on whatever inspires you. That's one. The other side is- the idea of being a generalist versus like a specialist is nothing new in my opinion, but in content marketing in general, specifically, I would say most, I would say like literally 90% of content marketers are copywriters and that's where they start. And that is where they stay. A lot of them will say, yeah, I kind of know SEO too. It's like, no, that's not true. They do not know SEO at all. And so they're really just glorified writers. And so that's where open AI coming in, like people were freaking out. If you remember when that stuff came out, like that's all these guys really know how to do. And so you just said a perfect example, like, I'm sure your slides are great, but you don't know how to design it well. So then now you have this sort of gap that you need someone to support you with. Right. And so I think being a generalist is something that inspires me a lot. And it's just something that I'm modeling based off my own career. So when I got to this startup, the SVP of marketing who hired me, she then later after she hired me, told me like, dude, like you're like a marketing unicorn, you know that. And I'm like, what? Okay. That term is kind of weird, but anyways. And she was like, yeah, because you know, all of these things. In fact, she told me she originally wanted to write a job description where all of the skills that I came with were documented and that the people team stopped her because they were like, there is no way you're going to find someone like that. Mm -hmm. And so serendipitously, I just happened to apply. They found me. We've had great success over the last two years and that's that. But like, those are the things that inspire me. And so today I've hired a team, I've scaled a team and all these things. And like, I see the gaps in themselves, right? Like being a specialist is 100% valuable. Do not ever misconstrue that. But I think there should be a group of individuals who are more generalists. And I think that's how you're going to get really, really dangerous and like really accelerate both your career and your Wi-Fi business. A thousand percent. And I am definitely of the generalist group. Like I am a proponent of that simply because mm-hmm. When you're starting out in any lean circumstance, whether it be a startup or a one-man show, you do not have the time or the money to outsource everything you don't know how to do. Like the idea that I'm going to write a video, but I'm going to hire someone else to edit the video and then get someone else to make the thumbnail and then get someone else to do the SEO. Like anything of value that you want to start on your own, you're going to need to do every single one of these things. No, I totally agree. What happens when you like, when you do get the money and you want to outsource, what happens if you don't know how to communicate effectively with a video editor and you don't know how to describe what you want or what vision you have, or what happens when you hire an SEO agency and like, they're just pumping up numbers and you've never understood SEO at all. And so you're being sold a dream. So like, even from that perspective, like 
just having general knowledge is just like a net positive, no matter how you shape it. You know what I mean? Especially when you're starting out, you may be really good at something and you have no idea unless you give it a shot. Right. I totally agree. I totally agree. And let's say you want to specialize in SEO, you have to make a website for your SEO business. So you have to write effective copy to get people to sign up for your SEO business. Like you just never avoid it. Well, and I feel very lucky in my career. Like uh, this whole thing started when I was in high school and like I joined the yearbook staff and I did that for four years. And like, that's where I learned InDesign and like was working with design and like uh, writing and photography and all those things. And that really sparked sort of my interest in journalism. And then from there, I um, enlisted in the United States Air Force where I became a broadcast journalist. And so during that time, my whole shtick was video, right? So if I go turbo on anything, it would be video even to this day, right? And so I have a huge video portfolio for my time in service. And then after I got out, I knew I needed to fill like my sort of knowledge gaps. And so I went and got my MBA online while I was working my first marketing jobs. And then serendipitously, like I found myself in a one man marketing team where I not only did all of the organic marketing activities uh, for a construction company, but I also wrote the RFP responses, which is like the only way that our company made money. And so in that year, I wrote 12 long form RFP responses that won $250 million. And like, that's what really chiseled my copywriting and design and like, just continue to like improve that. And it wasn't until two years ago when I joined this startup that I got what is considered quote unquote, my first content marketing job. So funny enough for almost seven years, I was creating multimedia content, had no idea content marketing was like a marketing function, you know? And so I just happen to sort of like accidentally become a full stack content marketer. And I have found it to be a very enriching um, and like high paying like endeavor. And certainly like, I just think more people that do this, you're, you're either, you're, you're, you're either going to get paid at the W2 or you're going to get paid building your own thing or, or both, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's just a net positive. Yeah, I was, I understand totally what you're talking about. I had never heard it called content marketing. I guess right. I'd never thought of its name before. So that's interesting that, you know, it's a function that I've never, when I would go to look for a job search, I would not type in content marketing job. Never, never, never. So how and would I you still, find a job yep. like this then? Nope. Nope. How did I find it? Yeah. That's funny. So my story is I, the same, uh, the VA guy, he was pushing me not only to join the jungle, but he was pushing me to join tech. Cause we were both in the air force and he was an air evac guy. Uh, and he pivoted really hard and like went through a tech boot camp and everything. And now he's like an SRE. Oh. And so he was like, dude, you gotta join tech. You gotta join tech. And I looked at boot camps and stuff. And I was like, there's no way I'm like getting rid of seven years of experience to like become a zero at something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I had no passion for it. It's like, there's just no way I would be successful at that. And so because of that, and because the pandemic pushed remote working as like a thing, I was like very specifically looking for remote jobs, um, in the tech startup space. And I found a job posting for a senior director of content marketing and product marketing. And so like a complete buffoon that I am, I love shooting my shot. I a hundred percent am not a senior director level at all. And so I sent my resume 
And somehow just the stars aligned, the SVP of marketing I just mentioned, she had just joined, was just starting to build the team from basically zero because they had just gone through a series B fundraise. And she was still reviewing every resume herself, Commodore. Mm. And when she saw that I was a journalist and that I had video and writing and like all these other things on my resume, she called me and she was like, Hey, we don't have this job posting, but like, I need someone to lead content marketing here. And I was like, that's fine. Go, let me know. <laughs> it's been nothing but like full accelerated growth in this space. And I kind of, I just think I'm kind of reaching the end of the W2. We've scaled it from 10 million to 50 million bucks. So you can imagine how different that organization is now. I am slowly getting back on the job market. And a lot of people from my firm end up going into startups, but I found it cool. difficult to find quality startups to work for. You know what? I would actually uh, refer you to Bowtie Night Owl. Um, I've talked to him a little bit about this. Like he seems to understand how to like, <laughs> like review people's financials really well. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> could it be me, dude? Like, that sounds awesome. I wish I could do that. Um, and he's told me like, that's something that he likes to look at, uh, when looking at startups. So one piece of advice, startup.jobs, I think is the website, but definitely just Google startup jobs and you'll find it is like the best website for looking for startup jobs. It's so good. It's yeah. It's like my favorite place uh, to look. And so definitely start there from a quality perspective. I have anecdotal things that I look for <sighs> product market fit is such a lame term, but like, you know, are they the category leader in their space? Do you get excited about the mission? Like, do you think it's category defining? Like, do you think it's like uh, you know, that impressive of a product or not, like you have to relatively be bought in, right? Like I work for a e-commerce Shopify app. So I'm pretty bullish on Shopify. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty bullish on e-commerce and like, sure. Like these Shopify apps do their thing. So like the, the niche that they operate in, like totally makes sense. It was, we are definitely the category leaders in that niche. And so those were some of the things I was look, I would look for today. I was not thinking about that last time. And that's probably the third piece of advice I would share is like, if you're thinking about a startup commoner, especially with experience like you have as a consultant, like you need to chase the bag, like heavy. And mm -hmm. like the biggest way I think you can do that is if you can find a startup that just got like a series B, maybe a series C fundraise, like go get after. I would prefer you find someone that just did like a series B, like within six months, let's call it. Because in theory, they're building out sort of the robust people and systems at this point. Right. Um, and, but they're still small enough to where like, you can get a little dangerous with what you're asking for. You know yeah. what I mean? My whole thing is you need to get paid a number that makes you comfortable with like adversity. Okay. So like, for example, two years at a startup, it's been like 10 years on earth. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it is so much work. It is so much change. It is so many pivots there. The economic conditions shifted dramatically in e-commerce over the last two years. Like it has been nothing but like Max pain, of course, max gain in the sense of like learning and all that cool stuff. But like all of my colleagues 
are burning out and dropping like flies because they are not getting compensated enough. So they're burning out because they're tired and because they want a promotion, they want to raise and all these different things. Like that's just extra weight that you should not carry with you, right? And so when I think about getting that number, get a number that will keep you happy for as long as possible and that will sustain you during hard times. You, I like to say this all the time. Whenever you sign the dotted line, you're immediately a used car, okay? Like no one will care about you when you are in-house. That promotion, that raise, commoner, when I got promoted, I mean, I get paid well, but like I can share with you, when I got promoted last summer, I got a 1% bump. Yeah. 1%, yeah. you know? But because I already was happy with my number, it did not offend me. I did not care because I was happy to keep playing the game. When you are in interviews, like that is the only time where you will be respected fully in your desires and what your numbers are. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And I'm drawn to startups for the leanness and for the different hats and all of those things. There's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of performance reviews. Yep. And like skill trackers and where you are on a check plus check minus scale on 36 dimensions yep. every six months somewhere leaner like a startup would just be good for me to get out of the ivory tower a little bit i think my dad would have a heart attack but i'm, <laughs> I'm still gonna do it but <laughs> see, you see that's such a fallacy oh gosh there's so many things yeah. we can jump on like the acceleration is second to none from a learning perspective and an exposure perspective like I don't think I would be doing the content captains thing that I'm doing today had I not been working at this startup. And I don't know that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known the things I know today and how content is applied to real go-to-market and business results. And so I'm forever grateful for that. It was a huge accelerator in learning. The other part is like volatility. If you remember like, yeah, there was a lot of tech startup layoffs, but like the layoffs really happened for like Facebook and like Google and stuff. So like I think there is a fallacy there too of like monolith companies are safer. And I just don't know that that's totally true. And I assume you're probably around my age or maybe a little younger. And like, that's the time, like, let's just do it. You know what I mean? Like take that risk. You can always recover. Like the ivory tower will always be there for you. You're a consultant that works for a large firm commoner. Like you'll forever have the opportunity to go back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And something that is a con at my current place of work is that it's all project-based. So sure. you make something, you get to know the client, and then you leave and you're gone. Mm -hmm. And you're never in that industry again. You never talk to that client ever again. You have no idea if your solution or the thing you made them even worked because no one lets you know. And it makes me like not care about the product, which is both good and bad. But I sure. think working at a startup where you feel like in your bones that you're a part of something bigger yes. than yourself and the, the fan, yes. not the family, which is such a canned word, but like, yep. you feel like you're on a team again. I miss that. I don't have that. Oh, I couldn't, I could not agree more with you. Like, I think here's the thing, like I'm originally from Puerto Rico. So like community and culture are totally like a deeply integrated thing for me. Then I joined the military. Okay. That's its own culture and like different sort of thing. When I get out, I work for two monoliths were the, my first two jobs. Right. And immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how do I fit into this space? Like, this makes no sense to me. It was horrible. And so 
at the end of my second job's tenure is when I joined the jungle. And so, yeah, digital community, but like, I definitely still feel like a part of this and like really enjoy connecting with folks like you and like whoever else is like in my DMS and whatever, whatever, like, I really love that aspect because I think the commonality is like sort of black sheep trying to get after it. And like that kind of hunger and stuff is like something that totally fires me up. And so finding this community was, was, and continues to be quite literally like life changing. And so then finding startups was sort of my professional side of finding a community because I totally agree with you. Like there is no feeling like making a thing, deploying that thing and like immediately seeing a business impact. And like, when you're just like a, you know, one of a thousand, that's, that's pretty hard to feel. Yeah. Interesting. So a lot of times what I've heard is that the startup world markets themselves as you see your impact day to day, it's energizing, you're doing a million things. But I've heard from some friends who have done it that it can be a mixed bag. You don't get the credit for the things that you do. It can be really a, a burnout situation. So it really depends on the startup, which is why I think I'm like being very specific about the one that I try to apply to. But I wonder if you've had that mixed bag experience. Yeah, I would say anecdotally, without knowing further details, I would probably guess that like the earlier the startup is, the more pain, right? Mm -hmm. The later stage the startup is, the less pain, but the less reward, right? Mm -hmm. So when I told you this whole series B thing, like that is going to be an indicator for me because a series B tells me you have not only found product market fit, which is like a, you know, a seed phase, but then like you've acquired a, your first few big customers. That's kind of your series A and your series B is like, oh, suddenly like, are you, are you leading your small category right now? Like to me, that is that perfect pocket of like, go join that because you're already joining what is like a hyper growth startup. Because then by the time you get to series C, now you're maturing a little bit. And even when you go fundraise for a series C, it's a very different like strategy than series B. Series C, you're finally starting to show some financial modeling and like you're showcasing like what your growth plan is. It, it just becomes a lot more corporate at that point. And then from then it just continues to mature and the bureaucracy continues to seep in. So that nice pocket between B and C and maybe a little bit past C again, two, three, four years of a startup's lifespan, that is going to be, I think the most invigorating pocket for you. Um, and like, certainly I'm taking my own advice. Like I'm currently working with uh, Bowtie resumes or Bobcat to like get my resume spun up because it's just gotten too big for me. Like I'm not enjoying it as much. And so that I'm telling you exactly what I'm going to be doing moving forward. Okay. Yeah. Really, really good advice. Then I had not even been thinking about like the exact size of startup. I was more yep. so thinking about the industry or like the financial performance, yep. but the size makes a ton of sense. Actually, The size makes, you know, the size is such an easy indicator. Cause usually, especially on startup jobs, you're going to be able to see what mm -hmm. they, cause like these startups like to flex at commoner, you know, so they'll, yeah. you'll see it. And if not, you can just Google them. And if they have no press release or whatever, like next move on, like these are small indicators. I think the compensation scale will also be a quite good indicator for you as well. That's something that I look for. It's like, are you like completely out of pocket or like, are you at least within range? Like that makes more sense. 
Um, and I actually would almost uh, advise you not to not apply and actually just apply to more mm. and get into the interview process because I'm sorry, but like the way you're, you're treated and handled during the interview process and like the people team and all that type of stuff, like there is no better indicator in my opinion of someone's culture. Right. Yeah. And so if you're just dragged along and it's terrible and it's messy or whatever, you're going into a tough, tough situation. Actually hundred percent VA guy was, is trying to join startups actively as well. He works for a big monolith right now. And one of his startups, I think he's like not that high of a role and it took like three or four months. And I was like, I kept telling him, dude, you got to pull out of this interview process. Like what is going on? And he stuck his guns. He stuck through it. And when the offer came, it was a terrible offer. And so he didn't do it, you know? So total mess. So yeah. those are some of the indicators for sure. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And the last thing I'm wondering about startups specifically is, so we mentioned the good parts, which is you're out of the monolith, less bureaucracy, more independence. Yep. You are working really, really intense hours for a company that is still not your own. As you continue to build up your Wi-Fi business and start your own thing, does that grate on you at all? Those hours for a company that is not your own, or you still prefer it to sandbagging at a monolith? Commoner, commoner, commoner. You're like about to make me cry or something here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent sort of the, the impasse, I guess you could call like that. I find myself in today, like your W2 is your first business, right? Like <laughs> I have been working on this for 10 years and yep. just now I got like a pretty good salary, right? Yep. Like if you think about it as a business, then it's like, okay, it would make sense. I put in 10 years and now I'm getting compensated for it. Cool. Well, I've only been doing content captains for a year, mm -hmm. so I can't expect it to two X what I did in 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. So that has been the mentality that has allowed me to continue staying at the W2, which is like, okay, well I can kind of let this run on auto because I know this game and I've been doing it for 10 years. I need to pour more energy to, to, to the Wi-Fi business. Yeah. The demon is, is creeping up on me, Commodore. I want to, I want to quit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to quit. <laughs> Yeah, I think oh a lot of people gosh. get there in the jungle. I just was wondering specifically at a startup yep. where it is so lean and you are requested to do more than your job description quite often that I wondered if it was maybe grading a little bit more than a normal nine to five. Actually, I'll, then let me answer you directly. Yeah. I think anyone who's listening to this is probably the jungle. And if you're listening to this, you are probably extremely capable of reaching and accomplishing those demands without burning out. Mm. Commoner, just from this conversation and from everything I've seen on Twitter from you, I know you're a high performer, right? Mm -hmm. So like you have to remember too, folks don't want to work that hard and folks don't know how to work smartly, right? On average, maybe on a slower week, I'm putting in four to five hours. But like I know strategically when something is high vis enough or high impact enough, that I need to go all in. I need to put in 14 hours to get this thing shipped, right? Yeah. And because I took those four or five hours for myself, I was able to do that versus normies who like show up and punch in from nine to five and like take real lunch breaks, like are just online all the time. They have Slack on their phone, which by the way, I've never had Slack or my work email on my phone would never advocate for that. And so like, all those things that you do, you start thinking that you're like some sort of hero commenter, like, well, 
if the organ is like, if I don't do this, like everything's going to fall apart. And if like, I don't show up and do this, like whatever, whatever, once you start thinking like you're the hero and like, like you're indispensable is honestly, a lot of times when you get cut, because you're not only burning out, but you're also like losing control and a grip of yourself. And now suddenly you're like, wait a minute, I need to be promoted. I need to get more money, whatever, whatever. So I think like, don't underestimate how capable you are commoner because like whatever you're being told, I think there is validity to it, but don't underestimate what your four hours looks like versus someone's eight hours. No, I think, I think that's really good advice. And I think that the part you were saying about don't be a hero, I think for a lot of people who are overachievers, which is what the jungle is about, it's hard for you to sandbag on anything that you're asked to do. Like, like, of course, I'm going to try my hardest. This is my employer. Like they're giving me a paycheck. I agreed to do this. I'm going to do it with full throttle. I'm trying to not care as yep. much as possible. I was not what Bowtie Bull says, A minus, you know, sure. don't study for the, for the day. Like that's just not who I am. I, I don't procrastinate. I do the homework. So it's very hard for me to pull back from my day job and not invest the mental effort into it. But I have to, because that's not how I'm going to get free. But yeah, it's hard. I, you feel guilty doing that. No, I love this. And like, I think my wife is pretty similar to this. Like she comes from like a 4.0 background, summa cum laude type vibe. Like I come from like, I failed four college classes. Like <laughs> I learned English as a second language. I barely fucking like, I can't believe I'm still here. You know what I mean? Like, so totally different backgrounds. And yet I think we feed off each other extremely well. And one of the pieces of advice I try to give her, which I'll give you today is like, it's not about how much you learn. Honestly, sometimes it's about how much you unlearn, right? Like you have wired into your mind that that A plus is the only way for you to like be extremely successful. And like, I'm not even asking you to get a B minus, I'm maybe a B plus, you know, like definitely sandbagging in the sense of like, you're getting consistent D's, like you're an idiot. Like that, right. I don't know who would ever say that, you know, like I'm talking about show up, give me that B minus B plus effort because you knowing that you are an A plus type of person, your B minus is like an A plus plus to anyone else, you know? And mm -hmm. that, if you can shift that mentality and realize I'm not asking you to work any less or any less hard, I'm just asking you to have perhaps less emotional investment in it and use that creative energy for commoner. You know what I mean? Like really? that's how I show up. And like, I think one of the main uh, differentiators for my mentality too, is like, I just don't believe you in the sense of, I don't believe that you want me to be in your family. I don't believe that you care about me. Mm. I don't believe that you have this DEI initiative to make me feel seen or whatever. I just don't believe you. And that helps me keep a bit of a barrier and, and, and stay a little bit cold because like, just as how, just as I, as I'm getting paid for my work, like I'm only getting paid for my work because I'm delivering value. Right. And so the hero piece is when, for example, let's say that there's like a work trip and, you know, I don't know, one of your colleagues was supposed to go and they can't go anymore. Why would you raise your hand and go do that? Yeah. yeah. You know, like, you are not some indispensable part of this organization. Now, if you know that that meeting was like, I don't know, investor meeting for like venture capital and like, you're going to be able to be in that room and do all those things, then for sure, be smart about the things that you're doing. But like, 
being the hero to me feels like the person who believes every ounce of their time and being needs to be at the job in order to get it done. And to that, I say, you just have not found a creative way to still deliver on your goals without completely burning yourself out. Really good advice. Like if it saves you an hour and you still get the job done and it's an A minus, that's yep. the right choice. Yep. Yep. My, my SVP of marketing taught me uh, specifically talking about content marketing, but definitely a principle that I'm going to carry for the rest of my life. And it is ship it at 80% and iterate. And mm -hmm. like to this day, um, I talk about it on content captains. I will continue to talk about it. Like what an incredible mentality shift that has come from me adopting the ship it at 80% and iterate mentality. Because what you're saying is you're not going to let perfectionism stop you. Mm -hmm. You're going to still deliver the thing but the and iterate part of it is, but I'm not going to ignore the fact that there were some deficiencies in what I just shipped. I want to make sure next time I ship this thing, I make sure that 80% gets just a little bit better, right? So suddenly your 80% is still increasing and getting better, but you're never getting past the 80. Does that kind of make sense? No, that makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah. And I think one of the th reasons why my line of work can be very grading on that exact point is because the 80% of what we do is the answer that we deliver the client. Here's our solution or here's our recommendation. The other 20% is the typos, the formatting, the numbers on the chart. And if you screw up the typo, which has no impact on the answer and the recommendation, you look like an ass. And so we can get like, so that's what I think drives me freaking nuts is like, we did all this work. I interviewed all of your customers. This is the right recommendation. You absolutely should do this. But the partner finds a typo on slide 37 at 10 PM on a Wednesday. Everyone stop what you're oh. doing, burn the entire house down. We have to fix it. And that is just the nature of client work that you cannot avoid. Commodore, you're more of a content marketer than you know. I mean, like <laughs> these are the pains that we go through every day. These are the pains as well. Like publishers and like people who've uh, done any publishing, like deal with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think definitely look for that startup. I think it'll change. <laughs> it'll change your life. Yeah, for sure. Because like that stuff would drive me crazy and you're just too capable to, to be subdued, right? Like you're just in a, you're contained, you're a caged bird right now. Like you, you gotta go. You got to go. So everyone's telling me. So maybe I should. Maybe I should. Let's go. Well, we did take a side turn here on. <laughs> I love it. It's all good. Thank you again so much for coming on. This has been a great conversation for those listening. Where should they find your stuff? No, thank you for the opportunity. It was really such a wonderful time. Um, if they want to find me, they can just go to contentcaptains.com. Uh, that is my website where I have all of these resources and the newsletter lives there. Uh, it's all directly powered by Substack. And then if not, my at on X is at Bowtied Coquito, C-O-Q-U-I-T-O. And that's it. Awesome. Thank you again and have a great rest of your night. Thank you, Commodore. Thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups. You